Welcome to the Wisdom Lifestyle Money Show. I'm your host, Scott Dillingham. The goal of the show is to show you how you can grow personally, financially, have a larger net worth, and leverage your largest asset to help you develop the person you want to be. I take you through all the steps I did from being nothing to being told that I was nobody and I was never going to accomplish anything, from getting kicked out of high school to owning a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio in my own company with more than 20 employees. You'll meet our partners, you'll meet our friends, you'll quickly discover how you can improve your life. So listen in and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Wisdom Lifestyle Money Show. My name is Paul McAllister. I'm a real estate investor myself, specifically focusing on burger strategy, multifamilies. I do a lot of joint ventures. I'm also an investor-focused mortgage agent at Lend City Mortgages. Uh, we do U.S. lending for Canadians, and we also do Canadians in Canada against across all provinces as well. Uh, I have an engineering background myself. I also have a background in mega construction across Canada, both on the private side and the government side. And I'm very excited to have a special guest here. His name is Ken them and you can help me with that have basically solo dad real estate investor contractor developer radio host i'm sure there's so much more legal suites but ken welcome to the show thanks for taking the time and yeah just give your introduction of who you are and then we'll get into it yeah great it's great to be on the show and i apologize in advance if my internet connection is not super great i do live out here on a farm out in the country and yeah, I've been investing since about 2010. And so many of our listeners, you know, I, I was actually working a full-time job. I was actually a landscape designer, working for a landscape contractor at the time and working on designing out people's backyards with all the nice pools and waterfalls and covered porches and barbecues and all of that kind of stuff. But my side hustle at the time was, you know, buying bungalows and converting basements into apartments and having student rental properties. And it, was at, it wasn't until 2018, so eight years later, that I finally had enough kind of cash flow and income coming from my rental portfolio at the time. And at the time, I had about five properties to my name, and it was enough for me to kind of quit and be able to go into full-time real estate investing. I was looking at my monthly cash flow from my rentals, and I was looking at my monthly paycheck and I was getting more income from my rental properties. And so that was the trigger point for me to quit and go full time. And so I had a, an architectural design background, you know, and I got my design CAD skills through the, through the landscape design industry. And because I was doing some basement apartments on my own, you know, I started offering that type of service to other clients. And I started going out to real estate networking events, you know, telling people what I'm doing. Sorry, one second telling people what I'm doing. And uh, yes, from there that I just started helping more and more people apply for permits and create basement apartments. And so this was, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, 21, you know, and as we all know, you know, those types of, uh, I guess, investment opportunities were skyrocketing. Everybody out there was doing basement apartments and converting houses and, you know, municipalities, uh, we're updating zoning bylaws to make it easier and easier. And my company just grew and we, we grew exponentially. I went from basically myself, only one designer to basically we had four at the peak. We had 14 designers 
designing across Southern Ontario, doing about 140, 150 conversion projects a year. And so this is at the peak, basically 2021. So mm -hmm. when, when you say, what does your company, so you design them, you design the legal suites and what else do you do? Are you doing the construction of them, managing construction? Cause you're throughout Southwestern Ontario. So how do you, how involved, I guess, do you get, uh, or not get? Yes. No, we primarily do a lot of architectural design work only, the permitting work only, but for those mm -hmm. clients that are in like the greater Hamilton Brantford area. We also have a construction company that was doing a lot of construction work. You know, we were doing like 140, 150 permit applications, uh, conversion projects, and then probably 20, 25 of those, we were uh, doing the construction ourselves and managing the construction. And so I, I set up a, a construction company to kind of deal with that. And things were wild. Things were crazy. We were growing fast, you know, hiring a lot of employees, designers. And I know with that, you know, comes a lot of complexity. You know, it comes a lot of uh, management to people, you know, for good or worse, you know, sometimes it's not always great to, to scale up, uh, especially scaling up quickly. There's a lot of lessons that were learned through that period of time. So now coming into 2022, 2023, you know, the numbers really didn't make sense for a lot of people doing bungalow conversions anymore. You know, we had kind of like a two unit house wasn't quite cash flowing anymore, especially at the higher price points of houses and you know we saw a lot of our clients switching into triplexes fourplexes getting into eight unit building conversions 10 12 unit building conversions and naturally our company we shifted and we started helping clients with some of these small building conversions and so that's what we're doing a lot of these days is like building conversions so it could be commercial vacant commercial to residential building conversions you know, we're seeing great opportunity in that space. You know, I, I'm an investor as well. So I'm also out there actively buying properties and, and converting properties and buildings myself. And I know our team, you know, what's nice about the vacant buildings is, you know, we're not dealing with tenants. We're not dealing with existing tenants, right? Sometimes when people go in and they buy an existing, you know, whatever, 10, 12 unit building, they're inher inheriting a lot of tenants, right? And they have to go through like a renovation process and try and keep mm -hmm. people out in order to renovate or cash for keys. And, you know, yes, there can be, you no, know, they can be successful in that, but it's a lot of headache that comes with that as well. And sure. uh, yeah. And what's nice about the vacant buildings is that, you know, you can basically get going right away. You know, you apply for your building permits and, and you get going right away and not have to worry about existing occupants. So that's kind of what we do a lot of these days. Yeah, I think you're in a sweet spot. I think where there's a lot of office space must be being converted to residential and commercial spaces being converted to residential. It's like the, especially in the GTA. So is a lot of those conversions happening in like that greater Hamilton or like in the area that you're actually located? Or do you see that throughout Southwestern Ontario? We're seeing it in many different municipalities, like lots of cities have their older parts of the city or where they have a surplus of, of vacant commercial uh, properties, you know, it could be boarded up vacant commercial on the ground floor, or maybe there's a couple of residential units up above, they're in all sorts of cities. And yes, we do a lot of work in the Hamilton area in particular, just because, you know, that particular city does have a lot of these types of, of units, but, you know, we're seeing a lot of projects in some of the small towns like Galahai, Simcoe. Uh, Norfolk County, St. Thomas, you know, Brantford, just lots of little kind of smaller little, you know, municipalities that have kind of these older downtown corridors 
and you know, lots of these kind of like older commercial buildings. It's perfect. Are you finding your clients are from those places or is it investors all over? You know, do you, what is your typical client, I guess? Like, how are you getting your, yeah, your business or where do you see like a trend in where your business comes from? You know, we're very active on social media. I know we put out a lot of content on Instagram and uh, Facebook and YouTube. And, you know, our, our client base are other real estate investors. And, you know, where are real estate investors hanging out? They're hanging out online. You no, know, they, they hang out at the different networking events. And so we you know we're there. We're actively going out there and, and networking in the community to get our name out there and, you know, also educate people on, you know, the different opportunities that are right there in front of them now, especially with all the changes the, the province has made to provincial policy and municipalities have made with zoning bylaw changes, you know, to allow for this further density of, yeah. of housing units. And, you know, we get clients from all over Ontario and, you know, they're going all over Ontario, basically looking for opportunity, right? And we're finding that in some of these smaller towns, it's, you know, not as much competition, uh, price points are lower, are, are lower. Oftentimes it's a little bit easier to work in these municipalities because there's less people, you know, in the building departments and the planning departments. And it can be, you know, less red tape, if you will, to kind of get a permit approved in some of these smaller towns. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's, you know what, there's opportunity everywhere out there for investors. And, and yes, you know, interest rates are high right now, but, but this means you have to be more creative with uh, what you do and creatively creating deals. Yeah. I think people always say it's high and it's high, but uh, being creative will actually pay off in the end when those interest rates do come down, right? You are not married to an interest rate. They will come down sooner or later. And I think it's really forced people to get more out of properties than ever before. One thing I, I want to say just for, I've been looking at your social media, you provide for, I will put it in, the, it will be in the description, but yeah, a lot of value for investors, a lot of good information about secondary dwellings. And I know you, you kind of think a lot like me, and that's why I was really excited. I was outside of Windsor, Ontario. It's called Amesburg, Ontario. And I actually have a relationship with the basically all of the town members because I'm always calling them, asking about properties. I can literally go in there, sit down with them and go through, you know, like that's something I think that you don't get in a lot of municipalities. If I were to do that in Windsor, you know, it wouldn't happen. But I can actually go and have a, and a question. I can sit down and get an answer. So I can appreciate the, what you're saying in terms of the small municipalities, easier to work for, like, Imagine that happening in any big city. It just, you know, it doesn't happen. Um, yes. You know, the thing is, you know, the province and municipalities are making it much easier for us investors to, to increase density. You know what? There's a lot of things that our governments do to make our lives miserable, you know, and increase costs on us and issues at the landlord tenant board and all these other matters. But on, on one thing that they are doing right is that they are allowing for increased density. So what that means is that, you know, go out there and find the biggest house, the biggest building on the biggest piece of land that you can afford, because there's, there's, it's going to be ripe for opportunity to, you know, make that single family home into maybe an eight plex, okay, or to sever a lot and build, you know, two multi-residential buildings. A lot of these municipalities, uh, especially along the arterial roads or their main corridor roads, you know, they're, they're, they're creating these intensification corridors where they're really upping, 
the density along these major roads. Try and find, you know, a, a building or a big house or, you know, whatever it is on some of these uh, arterial roads and, and collector roads, uh, these intensification corridors, because it's going to be, it's ripe for, for, for redevelopment. Um, and it's getting much, much easier. So then, great question. I think for investors, I, I'm asking this really question myself. So if I find a property um, and I'm like, oh, this has a lot of potential, at that point, is that when I could, would I be contacting your company? Would I be contacting you? Like, when, at what point am I reaching out to contact you for your services? Yeah, you know, it happens a lot. We get a lot of, you know, real estate investors, realtors who will, you know, they, they come across a good potential property that they come across on realtor.ca or whoever, a wholesale list or, or however comes to them. And then they say, hey, Ken, you know, we got this property. What do you think we can do with it? Here's what we're thinking, but can you confirm that for us or what have you? And so then, yeah, I look into the zoning bylaw. We look into the permitted uses. We figure out what's currently permitted under the, uh, the bylaws for density. And if they do allow that density, what are some other considerations that we have to be aware of, such as parking, uh, you know, lot coverage, landscape area, amenity space, bicycle parking, whatever it may be. And, and you know, try and determine, you know, can we do this all as of right? under the zoning bylaw, or is it going to trigger a minor variance? Um, or further, is it going to trigger like a zoning bylaw amendment or a rezoning of the land? You know, trying to inform our investors kind of what are they up against? You know, is this, is this going to be a relatively easy conversion project um, from an approvals perspective, or are there some hoops that we have to jump through um, so that they can make an you know, informed decision about purchasing the building? And you know, it's not just it's not just the zoning bylaw or the you know the planning side of the approvals that we have to be concerned about. It's also you know does the house or the building can we comply with minimum building code requirements for the amount of units that we want to do? Because you know so many smaller investors you know, they, you know they might be exposed to doing a basement apartment or a two unit house conversion, and there's a big difference in the building code between what we define as a house, which is two units or less, and what we define as a building, which is three units or more. And there's, there, there are some major key differences on building code between the two different types of structures. You know, like ceiling, like minimum ceiling heights is, is a big one. Means of egress fire. is a big one. Fire separation, right? And, you know, just because the zoning may permit a triplex, a fourplex, an eightplex, that doesn't necessarily mean that the building that we're looking at can actually comply with building code. So it, it's so this is how our company gets involved, basically helping the client with a feasibility study to, to see if this is going to be a feasible project or not. Yeah, so that's so if I were I know it would obviously this is a range of an answer, but what would that cost? So if I have a property, say it's a. Yeah, I guess it depends on the size, the level of effort. But what kind of typical cost would it be for a feasibility study? If I have a potential property, I want to contact you guys. Like, like how, yeah, what would I expect? Is that like an assessment case by case? Or do you have a standard or a typical kind of? So when people reach out to us, you know, we encourage them to book a consultation. And it's a free 30-minute consultation. And we, we do it on phone or on Zoom. And during that consultation, we're basically doing a high-level look at the property. Okay, we're looking into the zoning bylaw. You know, visually, we're we're looking at the building online. You know, via Google Maps, Google Street View, uh, to kind of get a sense for the building. 
And then we discuss, you know, what does the client want to do? You know, are we talking just a simple base and apartment, like a two unit conversion? Or are they talking about trying to convert this place into, you know, three, four, six, eight, ten 10 units. And then we, you know, we let them know, say, Hey, look, here's as per the zoning bylaw, here's what we're permitted to do. It's telling us here in the bylaw that we need, you know, X amount of parking spaces per unit, looking at your lot area. It doesn't look like we're going to, we can achieve that parking within the lot boundaries. Therefore, you know, this might trigger a minor variance to get the amount of units that you want. And, you know, we kind of discuss what they're up against. And sometimes, you know, it could be very easy, uh, straightforward. We can do everything as of right. No, sometimes, no, we do need further planning approvals. And then after that, and that's a free consultation, 30 minutes, you know, we can very quickly determine what we need uh, to do. And then from there, I send them a fee estimate to actually complete the work, the architectural drawings, mechanical, structural, you know, if we need a minor variance, committee of adjustment, you know, if we need to do a, a zoning bylaw amendment, like a rezoning, pre-consultations, you know, so on and so forth, whatever it's going to take. I feel like I have a project I could flip on the screen right now. I want to get your input on. But yeah, I'll, I'll be booking my consultation with you. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it it sounds like a really good service. And I guess it will lead, that free consultation leads to kind of some comfort dealing, working with you. And then it leads to business. It makes a lot of sense. One other thing, I guess, because right now in my mind, I have a tiny house that I'd like, I have a, a duplex, it has a garage, and I want to put a tiny house behind it. So my question to you would be like, what is the biggest I can go? What is the most I can get? So it feels like it would fit into that realm of a, a free consultation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, for the most part, we can, there's so much that we can just do online to figure out, you know, if we, if the project is going to be feasible or not, without even having to make a visit to the property, you know, the only reason you'd have to make a site visit prior to, you know, starting any sort of technical design work is really to maybe determine a building code uh, issue, a building code, a ceiling height dimension or something, yeah. or, or some sort of thing where we have to take a physical dimension in order to kind of confirm something, you know, just from a high level perspective to figure out whether or not it's going to be allowed or not, that can all be done online, which is, which is great. Yeah, I agree. That's, one of the reasons I like kind of working in, in my area is I can, I have the aerial shots that the, they take every year and you can actually, it's geocortex. You can flip through and see what the property looked like for the last 20 years. They take it once a year and you can actually measure from the sky and you can, that's how you can really easily see your lot coverage and those types of things. You know, it's not going to be the most accurate, but it's still pretty accurate. I find. Yeah, when we get into the larger vacant commercial building conversion projects, you know, you know yes, we look at the zoning bylaw, make sure that, you know, like a multiple dwelling, an apartment dwelling is going to be permitted. But in order to kind of figure out your unit count, you know, so let's say we're walking through a 14,000 square foot building, a vacant commercial building, we're trying to understand okay, how many dwelling units can we actually fit within this large, you know, vacant space. Then that's where it's really important to do a physical walkthrough of the building. Uh, to see how it's laid out, you know, where are the windows? Um, how are we going to get in and out of the building, like our means of egress? And because, you know, again, we, we have to comply with minimum building code requirements for a dwelling unit. And when you're doing a larger, you know, conversion project, you know, it's really vital to understand with accuracy what your actual unit count is going to be in the build. Are we talking 10 units? Are we talking 15? Are we talking 18 units, 20, whatever case may be? Because that directly goes back to 
the feasibility of the project, how many units, you know, ultimately how much can you pay for the building? Because once we have our unit count, then we can figure out our average rent per unit. You know, we can figure out what our expenses are going to be, what our renovation expenses are going to be, and basically figure out what our net operating income is going to be for the building. And that ultimately will determine our purchase price. So it's more important on the larger commercial building conversions to do a physical walkthrough to basically get that unit count. Whereas on the smaller projects, like a bungalow conversion, a triplex or fourplex, you know, other than maybe confirming a ceiling height dimension, we really don't need to do physical walkthrough. Makes a lot of sense. I think you have, I have a question there. So I know we talk about during COVID, I started again on this, the legal suites. So in the minor municipality, they allow a mother-in-law suite and then a secondary dwelling unit, you know, main unit, mother-in-law suite, secondary dwelling. For the first one that I had done back in 2021, I converted the the lower to a mother-in-law suite. And then I, the garage was a detached garage. I converted into a legal dwelling unit or a secondary dwelling unit. I guess my question is from a, from your perspective, is there any, I guess, advantages, disadvantages to mother-in-law suite? The word mother-in-law suite, I know is to me, it's a gray, a gray area, but maybe that's just my knowledge, but is there a big difference between the mother-in-law suite and the legal dwelling unit? Or is there, is that the same thing or? What, what, we're, what you're getting to is, you know, how is the unit defined? What's the defined term for that unit? And every municipality calls them something slightly different, okay? So most municipalities here in Ontario, it's like secondary dwelling unit, maybe an additional dwelling unit, maybe an accessory dwelling unit. Mother-in-law suite is not used anywhere in Ontario as a defined term. That's a term that realtors use when they list a property, you know, especially if they know it's not a legal apartment, they'll list it as an in-law suite. And to me, like when I see a listing and I read in-law suite, to me, it's a red flag that, okay, this apartment may not be legal. Most likely it's not a legal apartment um, because if it was a legal apartment, they would definitely state that it's a legal apartment. It's a secondary dwelling unit, you know, because there is value there. You know, you got to keep in mind, you know, on a, on a single family home with a secondary dwelling unit, it's still being appraised off of comps, right? Comparables in the market. And look, there's still lots of buyers out there who will buy a two unit house whether it's legal or not legal. But when we buy something that's a legal apartment or has a legal apartment in it, it's counted as legal income. And so it, it definitely makes a difference on, on your qualifying for that mortgage, or let's say you're gonna come and do a refinance, you know, six, eight, 10 months later, you know, it's really important to have that as legal income to qualify for the mortgage. Cause if it's not a legal apartment, while well, your lender may only look at the house as a single family home, not as a two family home. And that will make a difference on, on your qualifying. Yeah, no, I, I see that for sure. The legality really impacts your mortgage. I just feel, you know, I say there's a gray zone because it's still a single family house, even if you have a mother-in-law suite within it. So like, it's not like they changed the zoning. So how does somebody know or how, I guess, how does even the appraiser know if it's a truly illegal unit in that basement? Besides, obviously, if there's ceiling heights and stuff, they're going to be able to tell, but if the ceiling heights there, how do they know they can't see through the fireproofing? Are they sure. going and looking at the building? Like, how do they know that it's so, a legal mother-in-law suite in that basement? The only way to know is either, you know, the seller to give you a building permit, proving that it was done legally, or mm -hmm. you have to contact the city and get a zoning letter 
or a zoning compliance letter or a zoning certificate letter. Different cities call them different things, but it's basically a zoning verification report from the city confirm the existing permitted use as recognized by the city. And if a building permit was pulled to add that legal apartment, it would show up in the city record and the city would come back and say, yes, this is a legal two family dwelling, you know, or a legal single family home with a legal secondary dwelling in it. So this is why it's so important when you're buying a multi-unit house is to do your own due diligence and to contact the city directly because don't rely on what a realtor says don't rely on what a seller says, because oftentimes they could be wrong. They, they may not understand the existing use, the legal existing use of that property. And we see that in many cities where we have like tries, four, six unit buildings. It's like a dog's breakfast of whether something was legal or not legal. And there's been many times where people have bought in what they think is a legal fourplex, but in fact, it's only a single family home. And now they have to go through this whole building permit uh, process to get it recognized. And so, yeah, it's part of doing proper due diligence on, on a purchase. Makes a lot of sense. And I can imagine going from a single family to a, a fourplex is not the easiest of things. So you would be involved in under like the whole process. If say I'm an investor and I, I have bought that single family and we're going to a four, you'd be involved in the design what we need to do in terms of building permit and helping to work with the municipality, like guiding them through that whole process? Yeah, so we do everything start to finish, right? So we we start first with that zoning review, that free consultation, you know, figure out what you're up against. Then, you know, if we're going to move forward, then, you know, I'll give you a fee estimate for the architectural, mechanical, structural design, including a building permit submission. So we, we would do all the, the technical work and all of the city work get you ultimately that issued building permit. And then if you're in our local market here, which is, you know, we're based out of downtown Hamilton. So if you're in the greater Hamilton area or, you know, Brantford, Cambridge, you know, we would send you a fee estimate to do the construction from our construction company. And so we have, we have the ability to do it start to finish. Like I said, we're servicing investors all across Ontario. So there's many markets where, you know, we just physically can't send our construction crews. As much as I would love to have a construction crew that's covering all of Ontario, that's very challenging, right? But from the designing, permitting, consulting side of the business, you know, we help people everywhere. Um, yeah. I think that's really valuable. Even if you were far away, you still have an idea of the cost to a certain degree or a rough order of magnitude. It really helps, I think, from a, a remote kind of client. It adds value that you have that construction company as well where you are. Yeah, and there's lots of, you know, smaller towns, especially more remote northern communities where they may not have a lot of local expertise or local experts who can really consult with them about a potential project. You know, we have investors that are, you know, they they live down here, maybe in the south, in southern Ontario and the GTA, but they're investing in some of these, you know, communities that are much further away. And they may not know anybody who actually lives in those communities. This is where they reach out to us and, and we, you know, we, we can help them from here. You know, figure out what to do for a project that's, you know, three, four hours away or something. Makes sense. I think I can, I'll shift a little bit away from my, my personal questions on the single family. But so I know that you're, you have an expertise, it's land development. Like, I know we talked about multifamily, but like for land development, does that go to say, I have a, like a lot of investors have, they always say, oh, I have a piece of land. It's five acres. I want to know what I can do with it. What is the highest and best use? Is that something that you also get involved in or 
Where's so, the line? <laughs> yeah, so increasingly we're getting into more land use planning and land development work. Uh, like myself personally, I'm getting into a lot of land development and, and developing townhouses, stacked townhouses, street townhouses, you know, small multi, you know, apartment buildings and whatnot. And, you know, as I do more of that type of work personally, you know, I'm offering that consultation and that skill set to our investors as well and helping them with their kind of land development projects. And, you know, we have the capability to, if somebody comes to us with, yeah, a vacant piece of land, be able to look into the official plan, into the secondary plans, look into provincial policies and figure out, you know, what is the highest best use for that piece of land? Because a lot of land development projects, land in the zoning bylaw, that's fantastic. But there's so many land development projects where we, we have to go for a rezoning or a zoning bylaw amendment. And then this is where it's important to make sure that, you know, we're compliant with the official plan or any sort of secondary plans. And so it's, it's just land use planning is, is what it is. Um, and with those types of projects, you know, involves pre-consultations with the city. You know, there's lots of different consult other consultants that have to be involved in land development, you know, archaeological, environmental, uh, it could be traffic, parking, you know, arborists, you know, landscape architects, so on and so forth. But but it is a process. It's a step-by-step -step process that we go through. And, you know, my experience is it's not as difficult as people think it is. It's following a process. There's a step-by-step -step process that you walk through to redevelop uh, a piece of land into a much larger development. But it's all about working with the proper people and having a power team of consultants and planners and, you know, to help you develop and come up with the vision for that property. Nice. I love that you say vision. I think vision is the most important part of, obviously, vision and execution is the most important of real estate investing. I guess so. I think I have three projects in my head that I'd like to consult and some advice with you. I'm going to book some time, you know, the single family stuff, be adding the the additional, like the tiny house, and then I have a land development project. So I feel like maybe we could even make a show out of that, that conversation. But it, it's really cool. I have a lot of investors asking me these same types of questions, and it's really cool that they can reach out. So I guess, what is the best way for you for them to reach out to you? Or what is the best way for me to reach out to you? Because I'd like to do the same. Yeah, so really, it's just, you know, booking a free consultation with me first. And you can book that through our website, legalsecondsuites.com. You know, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook. I'm the only Ken Beacon Dam in the world. So I'm pretty easy <laughs> to find. And if you can somehow make your way to my website, that's where you can book this free consult. And then from there, we can talk about whatever project you have, big or small, and then see what it will take to actually make that happen and whether it's feasible or not. Cool. So I'll have that stuff in the description below. Ken, I really appreciate you taking the time today to be on this podcast. And I look forward to talking to you for myself. And I hope we got some value for our listeners. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. All right. Cheers. If you're serious about real estate investing and you want to take it to the next level with the least amount of time and mistakes, then you're going to want to sign up for our Real Estate Investor Hub. Visit CanadianRealEstateNetwork.com and hit the blue button or banner that says Free Investor Resources. Inside, 
you'll have access to real estate investing courses, networking opportunities, webinars featuring industry professionals, as well as dedicated chat channels to share and get access to unique properties. I look forward to seeing you there.